We're beginning a new series in First and Second Timothy, and what I thought we would do tonight, instead of trying to jump directly into Chapter One, which we usually do, I would start out instead with kind of an introduction and an overview to First and Second Timothy, and uh, uh, th- that way we've kind of got a foundation before we actually get into the study. We will go into the Word of God tonight. Uh, just not where you would expect to go. So you'll find out more about that. Just stay tuned and hang in there, and it'll be good. I'm delighted that you've joined us. I'm glad that you have taken the time out of your schedule to come and be a part of the Internet Bible Study. I want to give you an update on Carla. She's improving and getting stronger every day. She has a doctor's appointment tomorrow for a follow-up visit, and so... um, We appreciate your prayers and your cards, your emails, your words of encouragement for her. Uh, It's been very important for her recovery. She still has a long ways to go, but um, we're we're thankful and blessed for the progress that she's made so far. And so we appreciate your prayers for her and hope that you'll continue to pray as the Lord leads. We would also like for you to pray uh, concerning the discipleship course that... um, We've had planned now for several weeks. Obviously, with everything going on, it has put kind of a delay in putting that discipleship course together, but it is the number one project on my list, and so we're working on it. But I would ask you to pray that God would give us the wisdom and the ability to put this together in the time and in the manner of his choosing, and that... uh, it would be a blessing. I, I know it's going to be very encouraging. I know it's going to be very helpful. It's certainly very needed. And so uh, as to be expected, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong, has gone wrong to try and uh, prevent that from uh, coming to fruition. But I just bring it before you as a prayer request. If you would pray uh, that God would give us grace to get that thing completed, get it online so that people can begin to benefit from it. Uh, it's going to be a very a very critical and incremental uh, next step in the ministry of the School of Christ and in the enlarging and the increasing of Christ and the kingdom of God. So praise the Lord. Um, another thing I, I wanted to bring to your attention tonight is to uh, something that we've wanted to do is is to be able because we we recognize that uh, not only do we have prayer needs just as I shared them with you but you also have prayer needs unfortunately you don't have the opportunity the way we do to come before others and to share your prayer requests so we want to make make something possible so that you can have an easy way to uh, share your prayer requests and know that people are praying for them. And an idea that Carla had was to ask you when you register for these weekly webinars just to simply have an extra box in there where you can input any prayer requests that you have. If you have some, you can type them right in while you're registering for the webinar. Uh, if you don't, then that's fine. You don't have to. But... Um, we thought that would be a, a great way, and then you know to to get your your prayer requests, um, and that way, when I open up 
the webinar each week. We can take those prayer requests, and I can not just pray for them, but I can pray for them out loud. Uh, and others of you that are joined in to the webinar can also uh, pray your prayer of agreement as well. So uh, that shouldn't be a big departure from what we already do, which is to pray before we open up. Uh, but it will give us a chance and give you a chance to share your needs and share your, your prayer requests with us so that we can in turn agree with you in prayer for God to meet your needs as well and for Christ to have the preeminence in your situation and in your circumstance. So does that sound like a plan? Does everyone understand that? Does that make sense? If it does, say amen or type amen into your question box there. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm trying these little... These little things just to make sure everyone can hear me and that the sound is working before we get into the teaching. So praise the Lord. I just had about uh, 65 people tell me amen. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and, and go to the Lord in prayer right now, asking to bless this time that we have together in the study of his word and also to uh, lift up uh, these needs and these requests that, that we have and that, that you have as well. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ and where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are and here you are in the midst of us, Lord, as we're logged in and connected not only by the internet but connected by the Spirit through the one body of Christ. And so, Lord, I thank you for these believers. I thank you for the fellowship of the saints and I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, meet every need tonight according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, whether it's a spiritual need, a an emotional need, a physical need, financial, or whatever the case may be, Lord, I thank you that your grace is sufficient, your power is made perfect in our weakness, and we certainly have lots of opportunity to learn about your grace and about your power when we go through these difficult circumstances. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you that you're, you are sufficient. And I thank you for the supply of the Spirit of Jesus that fills us and strengthens us and encourages us even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Uh, so, Lord, we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We weep with those who weep. And that's what it means to be the body of Christ. Now, Lord, we're not here gathered together in the flesh. We're not gathered together in one place, but we are in the Spirit. Uh, one with you, one with one another. And so I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who fills us, who bonds us together. And I pray, Lord, you would conform us all to the image of Christ, that we would be uh, decreased even as he is increased in us. And I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have here uh, to study your word, to see what the Spirit is saying to the churches, to learn of you and to be taught by you and so Holy Spirit we pray that you would come and would be our teacher and would lead us and guide us into all truth as the truth is in Jesus and as Jesus in, is the truth for not only do we know him who is true we are in him who is true and so for that we thank you Lord uh, bless all those who are here open our eyes open our ears open our hearts open our minds to see and hear and receive the things that you have for us tonight and in the weeks to come as we uh, prayerfully set out on this new journey in the books of First and Second Timothy. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen 
and amen. And if you agree with that prayer, type in amen into your question box there. That way I know not only are you in agreement with me, but you can hear me. Okay, so it, it looks like whatever technical difficulties we had have been worked out more or less. <laughs> so praise God. Um, now I'm going to not be looking at the question box anymore because it distracts me when I'm trying to think and when I'm trying to speak. So I've got that closed for the time being. We'll come back to the question and answer window and open it up for your questions and answers towards the end of the webinar tonight. So let's get started with First and Second Timothy. There we go. And start out with some background on Timothy, first of all. Uh, what, what are the letters of Timothy? Who wrote them? Who were they written to? What's the purpose? What's the point? Well, Timothy, the letters of First and Second Timothy were written by Paul. Most people believe it is Paul. I certainly do. Um, when were they written? They were written very near to the end of Paul's life. Uh, depending on when you think Paul died, it could be anywhere from 60 to 67, 68, or 69 A.D. Uh, but these are some of the last letters that Paul wrote. And in particular, in particularly, Second Timothy is probably the last letter that Paul wrote, and so there's a lot, uh, a lot of good wisdom that he's sharing there uh, in, in the very end of his life. Very inspirational, very motivational to me to read Second Timothy, knowing that these are the last words of a man who's condemned to die for his faith. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about First and Second Timothy. Uh, if, if you've gone to the website and you've seen the schedule as we have it laid out, uh, then you know that there are uh, six books, or six chapters, I should say, six chapters in First Timothy. There are four chapters in Second Timothy. So that's ten weeks' worth of lessons. Uh, with tonight's introduction, that would be 11 weeks that we have scheduled out uh, that we, we want to look at each chapter, take it one at a time. Now, if you're new to the webinar and you don't know how it works, uh, basically I'll give a presentation. We cover one chapter per week, and I give you the highlights. As I've had people say, why don't you take longer and, and spend as long as it takes on each chapter? Well, I don't do that for one reason, and the reason is I am not endeavoring to give you every single thing that's in the chapter. If I were to do that, we would be here for weeks and weeks digging into this one chapter. But my role is more of a coach or more like a tour guide who is going to hit the highlights, give you the, the big points, and hopefully motivate you and encourage you to do studying on your own and dig in there and get the deeper truths for yourself. So uh, if, if I were to take and go verse by verse and bring out every single thing that there is, believe me, uh, the, the Word of God is very deep. It's very broad, it's very wide, it's very high, and we could spend weeks and weeks uh, dissecting and digging into each individual verse and bringing out every single truth. But my goal is not to do your studying for you. My goal is to facilitate your own study. And towards the end of the webinar, I'm going to share with you some, some practical tips 
uh, that I've, I've never shared, but I think if I did share them with you, I think we would get more out of the webinar. You would definitely get more out of the Bible study, and I just think it would be uh, more profitable for all of us uh, with these tips that I'll share with you towards the end of the webinar. So uh, that's how it, how it works. I'd also like for us to really try and be more interactive. I want to be able to work out these microphone issues and work out the, the channel issues so that if you've got a microphone and you've got a headphone set and you've got something to say or you have a question, that you, your voice can be heard, literally as well as figuratively, but you, your voice can be heard and we can get to your questions and get to your comments. Now, you know, with hundreds of people, you're not able to do that. Uh, everyone can't get in on it, but I think we can have better participation if if we plan for that and if we encourage that and if you know that it's welcome. So uh, we, we want to allow you the opportunity to do that if you want it. What I don't want is for people just to sit back and passively listen and passively read and say, well, that was a real nice study. We'll see you next week, and they don't do anything in the meantime. That's not helping your spiritual life. And we don't want to get into a situation like you would in a church where you come, you hear the preacher, you shuffle back out, you go back home, you don't give it another thought until the next Sunday, and then you walk in, you passively sit on the pew, listen to the preacher, and then you go back home. Well, that was a real good message, but you're not doing anything. So uh, we don't want to be forgetful hearers, but be active doers of the word. Uh, so that's that's the goal behind all of this. It's to stretch our spiritual muscles to to... Yes, to speak the truth, and yes, to speak life, but also to put these things into practice and, and find the practical application, and most of all, to encourage and inspire you that you can dig in there and you can pull up gems on your own. You can pull up truths just as good as I can. Uh, so I'm here to stir you up and encourage you towards that. Okay, so uh, following the presentation, we'll open it up for questions and answers and comments. And uh, if we don't have any, then we don't have any. But I want to encourage you to uh, to be open, be willing. I, I'm pretty sure that there are people who have uh, just as much to share from the Lord as as I do. And um, so I, I don't want this to be a, a bully pulpit, but to be the sort of a forum that, that we can uh, that we can share, that we can we can go back and forth with. Okay, so back to Timothy, written by Paul towards the end of his life. And uh, so who did he write it to? Well, he wrote it to Timothy, and Timothy was in Ephesus when these letters were written. We know that from 1 Timothy 1.3 where he says, uh, it says that Paul left Timothy in Ephesus uh, to to basically teach the truth and to prevent people from going off the path, <laughs> going off the reservation, as they say sometimes today. Uh, so uh, Paul wrote, those, wrote these two letters to Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus. We'll talk more about Timothy in a minute. What's the main theme of First and Second Timothy? Well, I think you can look at it like this. First Timothy is mostly focused on spiritual leadership, spiritual Leadership. I'm just talking about the main theme. That's not all it's talking about, but that's the main theme. Right now we're just looking at the big picture, and each week we'll dig down and go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But right now we're just looking at the big picture. What's First Timothy all about? I think First Timothy is all about spiritual 
leadership. Now, that's not a contradiction in terms. Uh, it's just that when we think of the word leadership or leader, we tend to think in, in a worldly fashion or in a religious fashion instead of a spiritual fashion. So we have to let the Spirit of God redefine these terms uh, for us so that uh, we can benefit from them and not be afraid of them. Spiritual leadership is, is a definite principle in the Word of God. It's a definite thing that is lacking in the ecclesia, in the body of Christ. It's lacking today, by and large. I'm not saying there is no spiritual leadership, but I'm saying, by and large, it's lacking for a couple of reasons. Because, number one, we just really don't know what spiritual leadership is, so we wouldn't recognize it if we saw it. And secondly, there just aren't that many people who are willing to be a spiritual leader. Now, there's plenty of people who are willing to stand up and take a title, take a position, take a place of preeminence, and boss other people around. That's not spiritual leadership. That's carnal leadership. That's religious leadership. That's worldly leadership. But we're talking about spiritual leadership in First Timothy. And so we'll get into that, and we'll talk more about that uh, as we get into the book. Once we get into Second Timothy, I think the main theme of that letter is basically passing the torch. Here is Paul at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, and he sees that it's not it, it's he's done all that he can do. He's at the end of his life. He says, "I have fought a good fight. I've run a good race, uh, but the time of my departure is at hand." And he sees this. He knows that his time is coming to an end, and yet the ecclesia is continuing on. Timothy is continuing on. So basically he sees his role, Paul sees his role now, is to pass the torch on to Timothy, over to Timothy, and to give him wisdom and counsel to encourage him to keep pressing on, keep moving forward, keep going towards the goal, to, to not be afraid, not be timid, but be bold, be, be assertive, be aggressive in preaching the gospel and and correcting things that need to be correcting uh, need to be corrected rebuking and resisting and removing those negative elements that were coming in to try and and destroy the fellowship of the believers there in Ephesus uh, Okay, does it have application to us? Absolutely. Why? Because the same thing's happening today. We need spiritual leadership today just as much as they needed it 2,000 years ago. If it were not important, Paul would not have taken the time to pour his heart out and write these, these very personal, deep letters to Timothy in an effort to, to tell him what spiritual leadership looks like, to set the standard, say so this is what it looks like, this is the model that you should follow for being an elder, for being a servant, of being a watchman, being a shepherd over the ecclesia. And then taking the time in 2 Timothy to give him specific instruction and encouragement and, and motivate him to stir up the gift that's within you. Stir it up. Get busy. Stir it up. Don't be passive. Don't just wait for things to develop, but you be aggressive. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but you, you go forth. And it's not going forth in an arrogance or going forth in some kind of a carnal, half-cocked, fleshly way, 
but going forth in the power of the Spirit of God, in the strength of the Lord Jesus, knowing that you are preaching and teaching the truth concerning Jesus Christ. So Paul is, is endeavoring to pass these lessons on to Timothy, the lessons of spiritual leadership, passing the torch, passing the mantle, if you will, over uh, to Timothy, because now Timothy is, is going to carry it on. Now, he's not doing it by himself. You've got the whole fellowship of believers there. You've got the whole elders there. But Paul is writing to Timothy, and he, he is charging him. He says, I charge you in the presence of, of God and Jesus Christ to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And Paul looks ahead, and he warns him, and he says, because the time is coming, See, this is why you need to be aggressive. This is why you need to make the most of every opportunity. This is why you need to redeem the time because the days are evil. It's because the time is coming when they won't endure sound teaching anymore, but they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, ever learning, but never coming to the experiential knowledge, the full knowledge of the truth. Well, that's precisely the situation that we're in today. So the letters to Timothy are, are very apropos. They're very appropriate. They're very applicable to the time and the age that we're living in. We need to restore true biblical, scriptural, spiritual servant leadership to the ecclesia. Now I say restore it. God has to do it. He has to raise people up. But he's given us principles in the scripture. If we would follow the scripture. And that's another thing you see that Paul commends Timothy for, that from a child you have known the scriptures which are able to make you wise. And all these scriptures are profitable. So, you know, a Bible study, reading the word of God, reading the scriptures. It's not just something that we do as a religious duty, but it is vitally important. It's critically important to our spiritual life. It's critically important to our spiritual discernment that we know what the word of God says. Because nothing is new under the sun. It's all been done before. It's all happened before. And Scripture gives us warnings of what to expect. We shouldn't be surprised. You say, well, I, I, you shouldn't be surprised. No one should be taken off guard. Time and time and time again, Scripture teaches us by example, teaches us by prophetic warning what to expect, both in the positive and in the negative. So, we value the Word of God. That's why every week we open the Word of God and we endeavor to teach out of out of the Scriptures. I think it's important. But, you know, we send this notification out to thousands of people and how many show up? Maybe a hundred? See, in the day and the time that we're living in, people aren't willing to really dig into the Scripture. It's far easier for them just to get on the Internet and listen to what someone else has to say than it is for them to take the Word of God, get before God, hear from God, have spiritual discernment and revelation into the Word of God. But we're not going for what's easy. We're going for what is important. We're going for what is vital. We're going for what is important to our spiritual life, what is important to our spiritual discernment in these last days. And so the Word of God is of critical importance. I'm talking about the Scriptures now. I'm talking about the written Word of God. Uh, so that, along with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to lead us, to reveal truth to us, to give us spiritual discernment, both of those are working together, both the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit.
so it's important. And we see, we learn these lessons, and we will learn these lessons even more as we study First and Second Timothy. So, who was Timothy anyway? Who was Timothy? Well, uh, Timothy. The first mention you hear about Timothy is in Acts chapter sixteen and verse one, where um, it talks about uh, a disciple in Lystra named Timothy, who was well spoken of by the brethren. See, we all start out as disciples, don't we? We all start out as believers. Uh, but uh, he was well spoken of by the brethren. And so uh, Paul felt led to invite this Timothy, this young man Timothy, to join him on his journey. Paul circumcised him, and Timothy joined him in, his, in, his, uh, in Paul's missionary journeys. Now, why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Well, he didn't have to. But uh, Timothy was not circumcised. Uh, his, his father was, was a Greek. His mother was a Jew who was also a believer in Christ. Uh, so Paul was endeavoring to, to actually, at, at that point, he was coming back from Jerusalem, and he was circulating throughout the fellowships that he had already established and preached to, and he was bringing them the news from Jerusalem that they had prayed and felt led by the Holy Spirit that the Gentiles didn't have to keep the law of Moses in order to be believers of Jesus. Now, that's another teaching for another time, but you can read about it in Acts. And actually, on our website in the MP3 section, we've done a whole series on the book of Acts, and I talk about that in great detail, so I'm not going to get into that tonight. But in Paul's second missionary journey, Paul was going back around to these fellowships that he had already preached to and had already uh, been instrumental in founding. And he was sharing with them the good news out of Jerusalem that, hey, all the elders, all the apostles got together and uh, they wrote him a letter and said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us not to lay any additional burden on you except, uh, you know, don't stay away from sexual immorality and remember the poor and, and so forth. But the point was they were able to go around, they were able to go back to these, uh, to these fellowships that were not Jewish and say, hey, uh, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to obey the law of Moses in order to be a believer in Jesus. Just be a believer in Jesus. You don't have to become Jewish to be, become a believer in Jesus. Uh, so that's what Paul was doing when he, uh, when he came across Timothy there in, in Lystra, or Lystra, and, uh, Yet Paul circumcised Timothy. Why? Well, because <laughs> Paul wanted to have a ministry to the Jews, and in order to do that, in order to have access to the synagogue, in order to have access to the Jews, he had to be circumcised, which of course he was because he was Jewish. But he couldn't bring in Greeks who were uncircumcised and have any kind of fellowship with the Jews. So even though uh, from a life in Christ standpoint, circumcision was not necessary, uh, but from a practical standpoint, uh, Paul says, you know, I, for, to those who are under the law, I became as one under the law that I may reach those who are under the law. And so uh, he circumcised Timothy, and Timothy joined Paul on, on Paul's missionary journeys. Um, so then the third thing is that Timothy from there traveled with Paul and worked with Paul. Basically, in everywhere that Paul went, Timothy was there. In Ferga, Galatia, Mysia, Troa, 
Philippi, Athens, Thessalonica, Corinth, Macedonia, Ephesus, and the greater parts of Asia and the province of Asia. See, some of these are cities and some of these are provinces, but uh, all of these places are mentioned in Scripture as being a place where Timothy was, where, where he was sent to, or where he came from, or where he visited together with Paul. Also, you see that Timothy came to Paul's assistance when Paul was in prison. Uh, so Timothy was right there, uh, right there, right, right by Paul's side. It was Timothy that Paul left to oversee the fellowship in Ephesus, the ecclesia in Ephesus. Um, and then, as I already alluded to, we know from Scripture that Timothy had a Greek father. He also had a Jewish mother who was a believer in Christ. And uh, so all these are mentioned, as well as his grandmother Lois, <laughs> his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. I think that's the correct names for the correct relations, but Paul mentions them by name in his second letter to Timothy. So interesting combination there, isn't it? Uh, when you look at Paul and you look at his ministry, how he was a Jew trying to reach the Jews, but he was also the gospel to the Gentiles, and here is someone who understands both. Here is a, a young protege that he can mentor, that he can train, who has a Greek father and a Jewish mother, so just as Paul had a heart and for both the Jews and the Greeks, the Jews and the Gentiles, he uh, he found in Timothy someone who could relate to both, and so there was a bond there. And of course, Paul was was older than Timothy, and in the letter, Paul refers to Timothy as his own dear son in the faith. So, just some interesting background on Timothy. And then we, we know from uh, history that, um, or at least from church history, from church tradition, that Timothy died uh, when he was preaching against the pagans uh, in Ephesus who were, uh, who were worshiping idols. And according to tradition, he was stoned and, or beaten, st dragged through the streets and then stoned and died maybe 97 A.D., you know, the, the dates are not all that important, uh, but it would be about the time that John uh, John the Apostle is getting close to, to the point of his death as well. Um, church tradition tells us that Timothy was there in Ephesus after Paul left him there. He was there for 15 years until he died when he was uh, stoned by the, the idol worshipers. Okay, so that's a little bit of background about Timothy. Um, but let, let's talk about Ephesus, which is the fellowship, the ecclesia that Timothy um, was basically left to be a steward of, to be a shepherd of. And we know that Paul wrote to Ephesus directly. We have that letter to the Ephesians uh, that, that we've already studied. And we see how Paul is, is laying out uh, the the body of Christ and all of these great spiritual truths there to the believers in Ephesus. But there's another place in Scripture that talks about Ephesus, and uh, so you've got your Bible, I hope, and I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And if you are still here and you can still hear me, please type in amen into your question box.
This is an amen check. Okay, wonderful. You're still here with me. Great. Well, Acts chapter 20. Now, this is very significant, and you say, what has this got to do with Timothy? Well, it, it has to do with Paul's final words to the believers in Ephesus, and more specifically to the elders in Ephesus, before he sent Timothy to to be the the shepherd, to be the steward, the elder of that work, Paul himself gave them instructions, and it's very interesting because there are some parallels between what Paul is telling them and what Paul would later write to Timothy. Of course, there are many years of separation between Acts 20 and those letters that he wrote to Timothy. Uh, but Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. From, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the ecclesia. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Now I'm going to read this whole thing because it's important and it bears greatly upon the letters that Paul would write privately to Timothy later on, who was uh, responsible for this fellowship that is, has not, it, it's still very young at this point. When Paul writes to Timothy later on, that fellowship has aged, that fellowship has matured. Here it's still very young, and Paul is face-to-face -face with them, and, uh, with them, and this is what he's he's giving them instruction on. So he says, you know, uh, that I've served the Lord, verse 19, with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. See, he's giving us spiritual leadership. He's giving us lessons on spiritual leadership. He says, I kept back nothing that was profitable or helpful to you. Verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now you compare that to Second Timothy, where Paul says, "I have fought a good fight. I have kept. I have run the race. I have kept the faith." So here he's setting out. Here's my purpose. Here's my goal. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. In Second Timothy, he says, "I did it. I have accomplished it. I fulfilled my purpose." I just love the way that ties in together. And it tells me so much about Paul and about the gift of Christ in Paul, who has a purpose, has a plan, knows what he's in, you know, doesn't know all the details. All he knows is I'm, I'm bound in the Spirit. I'm being led to go to Jerusalem. I don't know everything that's going to happen to me except the Holy Spirit is saying I'm headed for bonds and afflictions, chains and tribulations. But none of these things move me. Why? Because I'm trying to finish my race with joy. See? Hallelujah. I like that. Finish the race with joy. 
It's not a victory, folks, if you're just limping across the finish line. You can barely make it, and you're all depressed, and you can, you're just trying to hang on, and somehow you stumble and fall across the finish line exhausted. That's not the victory that's available to you in Christ. Paul says, I want to finish my race with joy, with joy. Run the race that's set before you with joy and finish it with joy. Finish it with peace. Finish it with the fruit of the Spirit and have your head held high. Cross the finish line with joy. Now, that's a goal for you. I know things might be tough. And, you know, even Paul says we despaired of life. We didn't know if we would get out of these situations or not. He said, I had a thorn in the, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Three times I prayed that the Lord would take it away. The Lord didn't take it away. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. But Paul says, now I rejoice in my weakness so that Christ can be further strengthened and seen in me. Well, that's what it means to finish the race with joy. Not just to finish it. That's, you know, for some people, they can't even finish it. They can't even put one foot in front of the other. They, they, they're not, they're just, <laughs> they give up too soon. They get off the path. Well, it's not enough just to stay on the path and run the race and even finish the race. Let's finish the race with joy. I just think that's, that's wonderful. Boy, what a high standard. What a high standard that is. He says, I don't count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? To finish not just my race, not just to get to heaven, but to finish the ministry, complete the ministry, complete the assignment, complete the stewardship, discharge the responsibility which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Hallelujah. I'm just excited reading that. That's encouraging to me. Gives me something to shoot for. Not just to barely scrape by, not just to barely hold my head above water, but to finish the race with joy, to finish this ministry that he has given me with joy. So you take that and you apply it to yourself and, and see what the Lord shows you in that. So verse 25, and indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Now see, what a... What a powerful parting message this is. He's never going to see them again. All he knows is he's going to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is saying that he's headed for prison, for bonds and afflictions and tribulation. He doesn't know what is going to happen to him, but he knows that they will not see him again. Now, they are his children in the faith. He is their father. This is his, his final words of, of testimony of warning to them, of instruction to them. He says, therefore, in verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I love it. I love it. I love it. The whole counsel of God. Not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And not only that, but what God wants me to say. I'm innocent. I, I've not held back a single thing from you that would be profitable for you, a single thing that would be helpful to you spiritually. I have not shunned or shrunk away or been timid or fearful to declare to you the whole counsel of God, the good, the bad, the ugly, 
what you like, what you don't like, it's irrelevant. I have shared with you everything God would have me to share with you. I have held back nothing that would be beneficial to you. I don't have a secret book of teachings that I only give to certain people. I have not held back anything. I have given you the whole counsel of God. What a testimony. What a powerful testimony that is. And I believe he, he did. I believe he did give them the whole counsel of God and then some. <laughs> so verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Remember, he's talking to the elders. He's not talking to the fellowship, the whole fellowship, all the believers in Ephesus. It says he called for the elders. He called for the spiritual leadership. Very important. He's giving them instruction as the leaders, as the servant leaders, as the shepherds as the overseers in Ephesus. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves, verse 28, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. See, there's another misconception that Paul went around, laid hands on people, and he established the overseers. He established the elders. No, he didn't. Holy Spirit chose them. Paul just confirmed whom the Holy Spirit had already chosen. You see that throughout the book of Acts also. They went and they preached Jesus. They came back around. They saw who got it. They saw who was growing up spiritually. They saw whom the Holy Spirit had, um, had anointed. And they laid hands on them and confirmed them. They always confirmed what the Holy Spirit was doing. Very interesting. So the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God or the ecclesia of God. And I try to avoid using that word church because of all the institutional overtones. And if you've read my book, you know that the word there is actually ecclesia. It means the called out assembly. It's talking about the people and not some kind of a religious institution. But I just think it's best to try and, and make that point as many times as often as I can in Scripture. So that's why I read it the way I read it. To shepherd the ecclesia of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, verse 29, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. See, Paul, with prophetic insight and just wisdom, common sense, and his experience from fighting with the Jews for so many years, he knew that as soon as he left, that wolves would come in, false teachers would come in, false prophets would, call, would come in, and would try, not only would they come in, he says, but uh, even among you, some of you are going to get some weird ideas in your head, and you're going to rise up and, and speak things and try to draw away the disciples after your own selves. Verse 31, therefore watch. I mean, that's what a shepherd does, right? A shepherd is a watchman. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Look at, look at his diligence. Look at his faithfulness there. Day and night for three years I warned you with tears and did not cease to warn you. I don't think Paul ever took a day off. 
I don't think Paul ever took a vacation. <laughs> I mean, you know, he says, I'm going to finish this race with joy. And I've got, I've got some work to do. I have a responsibility. I have a stewardship. But see, now he's not there. He's been there three years, probably the longest, one of the longest places that he ever spent time in, between three and three and a half years there in Ephesus. But now, now God is moving him on, and he is raising up spiritual leadership in his place. So, verse 32, he says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Verse 36, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Now just imagine, you know, he, he makes he he sails past Ephesus because he's trying to get to Jerusalem in time for the Passover. But he can't resist, he can't he, he knows he's not going to be able to see them again. So he he stops the ship he gets out at Miletus, which is a little ways past Ephesus, and then he sends messengers for the elders from Ephesus to come and meet him there in Miletus so that he can give them these words of instruction, make his final farewell, pray with them, commit them to God, and then leave them on the beach, get in his ship, and sail on to Jerusalem. What a poignant passage of Scripture that is. I can see it just as if I were standing there on the beach watching it happen. Very powerful. So let's talk about what we just learned. Because it, it's very interesting when you read in the weeks to come and as we study First Timothy and Second Timothy, you see some of the same things he's repeating that he's already told them and, he, and he's re, rehashing it, he's rehearsing it. So this isn't anything new. It's Paul going back to Timothy. Remember what I said there on the beach? Now I'm saying it to you. Because now you're the, now you're the elder in Ephesus. So, what is the substance of that spiritual leadership? Well, first Paul laid the foundation. The foundation is Christ. He he spent three three at least three years, maybe three and a half years, warning them, teaching them day and night, and laying the foundation of Christ. But then, of course, he knew that wolves would come. And so he warns them to watch over that, watch over the uh, the ecclesia, and even watch over themselves, and to shepherd the ecclesia of God. That's what it means to be a spiritual leader. To shepherd, to watch over, and so as we, as here we have the the general guidelines, but in First Timothy, in Second Timothy. Is, particularly in First Timothy, we get very detailed instructions about who qualifies to be an elder, who qualifies to be an overseer. And uh, 
So I'm looking forward to getting into that and discussing it with you. But as we do, there's some talking points that we want to bring up um, as, as it relates to our study in First and Second Timothy. First of all, keep in mind that these are private letters. You know, all of the other letters that we have studied by Paul and by John, or most of them so far, have been general epistles, general letters, where he wrote this, this, uh, this general letter for everyone to read and for everyone to pass around. And it was written to, to the ecclesia to all the brothers and all the sisters, all the believers in Christ. Well, Timothy is different, and it's so different that people, you know, some brainiacs and eggheads and so-called professors and scholars, they don't even think that Paul wrote it because it's so different. Well, they don't think Paul wrote Hebrews because that's different also. you got to understand that Paul has a way of adapting his communication to meet the needs and be understood by the person he's communicating with or the people that he's communicating with. I mean, he's already told us, to the Jew I became a Jew to reach the Jews. To the Greeks I became a Greek to reach the Greeks. I became all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. So he's, he adopts, it's still the same Holy Spirit, but he adopts a different style and a different manner of writing to an individual person than he does to a, an entire fellowship, an entire group of people. So it's not that he didn't really write this letter, somebody else wrote it because it sounds so different, uh, sounds so differently from the rest of the letters. Well, it's it's a completely different audience. Uh, so when I, I had a job once where I was on the telephone calling all over uh, different parts of the country and talking to different groups of people in different parts of the country, and after doing that for such a long period of time, I learned how to adapt my accent to fit the person that I was talking to. Well, it was just it was just natural for me to be more understood to speak and to have the mannerisms of the people that I was speaking to. So in the same way, you can see these subtle differences. When you read Hebrews, it's so different from everything else Paul wrote that people don't even know that Paul wrote it. They, they, they question if someone else wrote it. It's no doubt in my mind that Paul wrote it. But he can't write to Jews the same way he would write to the Gentiles. And he's not going to write to an entire group, fellowship of people, the same way he would write to his own dear son in the faith, Timothy, who he left in charge with the responsibility to shepherd and be an elder and an overseer in uh, over that fellowship there in Ephesus. So keep that in mind as we study First and Second Timothy, that these are private letters, private letters, you know, if I'm writing a letter to my wife, I don't want the whole Internet to see that because I'm writing differently to her in a private letter or even to friends of mine. I don't write to friends of mine the same way I write to everyone else. It's just a different audience. So uh, keep that in mind as we study First and Second Timothy, whereas all the other letters, most of the other letters that we've studied have been to uh, Christians in general. Not only that, but it, it, was, it was like a mass email. Paul would... Paul would dictate the letter, someone would transcribe it and write it down, and they would make copies, or it, they would either make copies of them, or they would take that same letter and they would pass it around and, and it would get circulated around, just like, just like a mass email would today, <laughs> in a very low-tech way. Uh, so, and it, they were written specifically. Um, I mean, some of those letters, some of the copies of those original uh, documents that we have, they don't even have the name of, of the fellowship in there. 
It just says to the ecclesia that is in blank, grace be with you in peace. Why? Because they would just pass it around and it would go to, to whosoever will. It was intended for the entire fellowship, the entire body of Christ. Well, not so with these letters to Timothy. First, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are known as the pastoral epistles, and it means it's written to the to individuals as opposed to the general epistles that were written to everyone. Okay, uh, most of that is not critical, except just keep in mind that the tone is going to be different because it's written to an individual. Um, because that's the case, you're going to find more practical advice, more to the point uh, advice, as opposed to the teaching and the big, the big teaching themes and the big doctrinal themes and the big theological setting forth of, of spiritual truths like you see in Romans, where Romans is written to, to a large group of people and Paul sets out all kinds of, of arguments and explanations and that becomes the basis of our theology and the basis of our doctrine and our teaching and our belief system. In, in these little private letters here to Timothy, it's just full of practical advice. I mean, to the point, straight to the point, practical. So don't approach it look, looking for these grand theological truths that you might see in, in, in uh, Ephesians or in Romans or in Colossians. It doesn't mean there's no doctrine and no teaching at all, because there is, but it's just a different tone. Now, there are some difficulties that we run into with 1 Timothy and with 2 Timothy, and I think primarily it's because these are private letters, not necessarily written uh, for public consumption. And that's not to say that he's saying something in private that he wouldn't say in public, but I know for me uh, there are things that I say privately to my friends that if I were to say them in public, I would have to give a, a great deal more explanation than I would with my friends or my family because they understand, they know what I'm talking about. Yep, I, I, I hear you. But with someone who is just out in general who doesn't have that, that knowledge of where I'm coming from, it's not that I would say something in contradiction, but I would definitely have to explain it a little bit more different, uh, differently uh, to make sure that I'm not misunderstood. So I think some of the difficulties that you find in First Timothy and in Second Timothy are just because they are private and they're not meant for, uh, they weren't meant for everyone to read. If they were, if that was the intention, I think Paul would probably elaborate on some things, uh, but he doesn't. So just bear that in mind. It does raise some difficulties, and so we'll try to look at them. One of the biggest difficulties is the role of women, um, because there seems to be a conflict. At one point, Paul is, is saying that in Christ there is no male or female, and uh, he's very, he's very, he seems to be very open and tolerant of women in First Timothy, he talks about he doesn't allow women to speak. It's a shame for a woman to speak in the ecclesia. Uh, so how do you get around that? Well, we'll deal with that when we come up, when we come up with it, but I'm just saying it's a difficulty. It's something that we have to look at. It's something that we have to discuss. Now, some people, you know, they just take everything just for what it says, um, and 
you know, God's word said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, just because God's word says something, it doesn't mean you understand what it means and how it applies. So let's go deeper than just what it says. Let's, let's try to understand what it means and how it applies to us today. Uh, you know, Jesus said, if you, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. All right. Well, that's what he said. And basically that's what Peter did. And Jesus said, what are you doing? Put your sword away. <laughs> so, well, I'm just doing what you said, Jesus. <laughs> but uh, th that's what I'm talking about. Just because the Bible says something doesn't mean that we're not to pray and to look deeper and to try and get at the spiritual truth behind what it's saying. At the same time, uh, we don't want to twist things around and just make it suit our fancy. So I'm saying that's a difficulty. That's something that uh, causes people to, to get upset or causes people to have uh, to stumble and to have trouble with. So we'll try to deal with it. We might not deal with it completely to your satisfaction, uh, but that's okay. We'll look at it, we'll consider it, and um, and then we'll move on. Well, you know, there's some other difficulties as well. The practical functions of an elder and deacon. Uh, a lot of that has to do with offices. What, what is this? Where is all this coming from? It seems to, it's, when you read First Timothy, it seems like Paul is trying to get things organized. It, it, it almost sounds like um, the, the simple meeting of believers uh, that they enjoyed in the early church is beginning to, to get some organization to it and setting up offices and setting up deacons and so forth. And so that's a difficulty because, uh, is Paul suggesting that we should uh, establish a denomination or establish religion as we know it? Does he want us to get more organized? Why all of a sudden? Is, or it, is this not a conflict at all? Well, it's something we need to look at. Part of the difficulty uh, with understanding the roles of elders and bishops and deacons is that the King James Version, in my opinion, mangles these two books with all kinds of churchified religious references. Like, uh, I'll give you some examples when we get to them, but I gave you some one good example in my book on um, on the irresistible kingdom, where where it talks about those who purchase to themselves the office of a deacon. What in the world does that mean? They who purchase to themselves the office of a deacon, and that has bears no resemblance to what it says in, in the Greek. But what I think happened is these the Church of England tried to inject too much religiosity. They they tried to to project themselves into what Paul was saying and make sure that their system of religion lined up with the version of the Bible that they were writing. So King James Version does a poor job of translating what I think it's basically saying is that deacons are servants. But see, not only do you have the King James Version, who has kind of uh, institutionalized First Timothy to make it seem like it's the Church of England that Paul is talking about, but then you've got in your own head and in my own head, we have references back to organized religion that we came out of, and we see that, that hierarchy, we see that organization when we read these same terms, because people, people take these terms out, they set up an organization and they say, well, we're scriptural. This is what the Bible says. You know, a bishop is this, elders are this, or deacons are this. And 
uh, it, it's so you've got a lot of there's a lot of difficulty there. <laughs> that, that's what I'm getting at. There's some difficulties here, but we're going to try to deal with those difficulties and at least get you to consider um, an alternative uh, to what tradition has taught you. I don't want to just accept and take for granted what tradition has always said things mean. I want to get into the Word of God. I want the Holy Spirit to teach me and show me, and I think he has shown me some things, and so I'd like to have a discussion with you about that, some of these difficulties here in Timothy. So we'll do that in, week to, in our week-to-week -week study. Our goal in studying these books is to see the principles, not get caught up in the methodology, not worry about the methods, but to see the principles in this letter and find their applicability to us today. We don't want to study the Word of God just as a history book. We also want to understand, we do want to understand how it applies to us today and what are the spiritual principles behind the things that Paul said. Paul said and did the things he said and did for a reason. What is the reason behind what he said? And what what principle is guiding his methodology, if there is a methodology? What, what spiritual principle lies behind the method or the instruction of, I don't let a woman teach or have authority over a man? Well, why would he say that? Is there a principle at work that we can take and apply today that maybe the method would be different, but we can still obey the principle? That's what we need to look at and, and ponder that. And and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us uh, what's happening here. Uh, so, that, so that's the goal. Uh, because, listen, methods are many. Principles are few. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. So we don't want to, we don't want to focus on methodology. And when you start arguing over particular passages of scripture, you're arguing about methodology. What we want to do is embrace the spiritual principle and allow the Holy Spirit to give us the methodology. Because I believe some things that the Holy Spirit gave to the early church was a specific methodology for them and their time and their season. It's not necessarily applicable to us today as far as the methodology is concerned. But the principle, the spiritual principle behind what they did is absolutely valid and applicable to, to us today. Just be, And see, here's where I have kind of an issue with the house church movement. They have adopted a methodology that says if we'll just meet in homes, we'll have the same power that they had in the early church because they met in homes. Well, that's following a methodology. That's following a, a structure on the outside and saying, if, if we just do it the way they did it, then we'll, we'll get the same results they got. No, you won't. You've got to find the spiritual principle behind what they did. And just because the Holy Spirit led them in a certain way for a certain season doesn't necessarily mean that he's leading us in the exact same way that he led them. Now, you know, that might be confusing to some of you. That's okay. Um, we'll look into it, and, and we'll get to the bottom of it, and we'll try to discern it by the, the Spirit of God. But we're not going to follow tradition. Just blindly follow tradition. Just blindly parrot and echo what everyone else says. But we want to look at it with a fresh pair of eyes and uh, see what 
see what the intention is behind that. So, if you agree with that, say amen. So I can make sure everyone is still here with me. Just type in amen to your question box. That's the only way to say amen in this environment right now. <laughs> okay, so now I want to share with you um, how I think you can get the most out of the studies that we're doing. And it's based on all the studies we've done up to this point, which are all available. Most of them are available and are archived on our website, schoolofchrist.org. Click on the Learn link, the Learn link, and in that section you'll see most of the webinars that we've done. Uh, so we've been doing this for a while. We've listened to your feedback. I've listened to some suggestions on how we might improve what we're doing. And so here's, here's what we've come up with to help you get the most out of these studies. Number one, read if you can, or at least listen to the chapter that we're going to study in advance. And that's another reason why we want to stick with a, a set one chapter a week. Because if we do one chapter a week, we all know what we're reading a week in advance, or in this case, 11 weeks in advance. You know precisely what we're going to be reading and talking about. So in the week in advance, you can read that chapter. And I would recommend you read it several times because these chapters are not long chapters. You can read it through once a day. You can read it through several times a day. You can read it through once or twice. But what I, what I think you don't want to do is to not read it at all and just sit back and listen to me speak about it. That's not going to get you anywhere. So to get the most out of these studies, I encourage you to read the chapter through in advance of the study. So at least you, you have a sense of, of what we'll, we'll be talking about. And it gets you in the same mindset. It brings us all into one accord. Now, if you have access to an MP3 player or some kind of a, an audio Bible, that's great. I've got an MP3 player. I have the Bible on. And I can listen to the same chapter dozens of times a day. So that's part of my preparation. I certainly couldn't sit there and read it dozens of times, but I can listen to it dozens of times. And so by the time, uh, you know, it's it's no accident that, by the time it comes around for me to teach on this, I've got all kinds of things to share. It's because I've been, I've been feeding my spirit all week. So that's how you can get the most out of these studies as well, not just to sit back and, and listen to me talk about it, but you read or listen to the chapter in advance. Now, of course, it's up to you when you do it, how you do it, how often you do it. I'm just giving these out as suggestions. Secondly, and this is what I do, keep a notebook of questions and observations. If you're not, and you know, I'll give you a heads up, this is going to be part of our discipleship course that we'll have online. If you're not reading the Bible with a notebook and a pen in your hand, you are missing out on an incredible wealth of spiritual riches. I can't even tell you how much you're overlooking. If you're not reading the Word of God with a notebook and a, and a pen in your hand, Write down your questions. Write down your observations. When you see something, when the Holy Spirit shows you something, you write that down and you make it your prisoner forever there on that piece of paper. And then you can go back and you can review that and you'll see it and you'll never let it go. But 
listen, if you don't expect to see anything, you won't see anything. If you don't expect that you're, God's going to show you something in the Word, you won't see anything, more than likely. Or if you do see something, you'll forget it because you didn't write it down. So don't trust your memory. That's what paper and pencil is for. <laughs> you write down, first of all, the things that God shows you, observations. Next, write down the questions. I don't understand this word. What does this mean? How does this apply to me? Here's what I think it means. You begin to journal through your Bible. It's okay if you want to write notes in your Bible, but I'm talking about keep a journal, keep a notebook. Of, and, you know, many of you may, maybe you already do this, but I'm trying to give you very practical tips for getting the most out of not just these webinars, but to get the most out of the Bible, get the most out of your Bible study. Always have a notebook. I always take something to write with in a notebook whenever I go to pray. Why? Because I expect God to speak. I expect him to show me something. And if I didn't expect that, I wouldn't take anything in to write it down with, would I? <laughs> but I expect. I come expecting. And more times than not, he's showing me things. I'm writing just as fast as I can. Well, I come equipped. I come ready. Just like if... if uh, if you, they don't do this anymore, but if you called in your secretary because you wanted her to, to take a letter and she went in there knowing that you're going to dictate to her and she's going to take down a letter, but she doesn't bring anything to write with. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well, hey, if you are expecting to hear from God, if you're expecting to see something in his word, bring your notebook. Bring something to write with. Because I'm telling you, that just that one simple thing will be so beneficial to your spiritual life. So it'll also be beneficial in our studies together because, um, well, thirdly, invite other people to join. If, if you get something out of this and it's encouraging to you, I encourage you to encourage other people to come join. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. And they can... They can get the teaching that will point them to Christ, but they can get it without having to get plugged into a church someplace. And that's our goal. That's our motivation. That's our inspiration for everything we do, is, the, is that people should have a place that they could come and grow spiritually and be pointed to Christ and not be distracted by churchianity and organized religion. That's what we're all about, is to see people grow spiritually and to give them a... And an opportunity to come and to anonymously if they want to, but to participate in this study, to be challenged, to be encouraged, and to set their, their spiritual life in the right direction, pointed towards Christ. So here's the thing. If you invite other people to join, you'll be excited. You'll be encouraged. You'll be more into it. I want you to be into it. I want you to get something out of it. I want it to be profitable for you and for your spiritual life. All right, so here's another good reason to keep the notebook because I want you to be prepared and be willing to share, uh, to ask. And so uh, that's part of the, of the reason that we're doing these is, is we want to uh, give you an opportunity to ask questions, to get your questions answered, uh, to be able to share. And I think it's important that you hear other people who are just like you, who are in the same uh, place that you are in the Lord, 
maybe a little bit further along. That would be encouraging. Give you something to shoot for. Maybe a little bit further behind you. You can be an encouragement to them. But the point is we are all working together and we're all interacting as much as, as possible. Uh, so you, you bring your questions. And uh, these are the questions that you come up with as you're reading the chapter. Now, it may be that as you listen to the teaching, those questions are answered and then Praise the Lord for that. If not, when we get to the question and answer portion, then you can uh, you can type in your unanswered questions into the question box, or if you have a microphone and headphone set, then you can click on the icon to raise your hand, and we can open up a channel and have a conversation. But either way, however you do it, um, be willing to share. We want to give you the opportunity to share and to get your questions answered and make it interactive. That's one of the benefits over just having a teaching on compact disc or just having a teaching on a DVD is the interactiveness of, of the study. So um, those, are, those are just some practical tips to get, help you get more out of the webinar as well as more out of your study of the Bible. So as I said, next week uh, we'll actually get into 1 Timothy. I hope this introduction has been helpful to you. And... Um, I hope it, hope it encourages you to dig into the Word of God and, and find out more about what's in there. So uh, why don't we go ahead right now and open it up for your questions. If, uh, if you have a question and you want, to, uh, you want to get it answered, I'll open it up so that you can do that. If you have a headphone set and a microphone set, uh, you can click on the hand icon and that will indicate to me that you want to get in and I'll try to open up a channel to you. If you don't have that, you can type your question into the question box. And we'll try to answer it that way. Okay, let's open it up right now. I'm going to go to Burl. As soon as I can... Well, they have changed the controls on here. Bear with me just a second. Okay, Burl, are you there? I'm here, Brother Chip. How are you? I'm great. How are you, sir? I'm good, and I trust your uh, your wife, Carla, is doing, doing good. She's doing better. She's moving around uh, with help, and she's doing more things on her own and getting stronger every day. And actually, she's probably uh, upstairs tuned into the webinar right now. Well, that's great. I've been uh, I've been praying for her as well as yourself, and uh, praying that the Lord's will be done with you guys in this situation. We appreciate that. Thank you so much for your prayers. You're welcome. Um, uh, enjoyed the the teaching tonight. I'm, uh, I got in uh, signed in a little bit late because I was tied up, but I did get in to catch the last half of it or so, and um, very very good, very intriguing. And um, uh, one thing that you were talking about earlier that uh, brought up something you were talking about the King James Bible and all of that, and I had a I had a brother over here uh, a couple of days ago, and we got in a discussion. Uh, he's a King James Version only, you know, and um, uh, I didn't I didn't think about this until you were talking a minute ago. But it, this is probably elementary to you, but it just has hit me that you know the King James Version of the Bible was uh, actually put together uh, long after the uh, the the church. 
the religiosity came into the church was, of course, with uh, Constantine and all that going on. And, you know, there's a lot that happened way before the King James Version of the Bible ever was put together, don't you think? Yeah, the, the way I understand it is that um, Jesus didn't speak English. He certainly, he certainly did not speak King James. So it's, it's pretty, I think, superstitious of anyone to suggest that, that the King James Version is the only kind of version that the Bible could ever be written in. Um, because, quite frankly, Jesus didn't speak English, neither did Paul. No one in the Bible spoke English. And so the best we can do is to take the language that they did speak in and translate it into a language that we can understand. Uh, so to, to suggest that there is some kind of super spiritual thing uh, unique to the King James Version that makes it the only version that you're supposed to read it's um, it's just well, it's immature, and um, my my advice to people is if you can read and understand the King James version, and that helps you to understand the Word of God, then go for it. Uh, but most people, myself included, understand uh, understand the Word of God better when we have an English version that is actually written with words that we understand. Now having said that, no translation is perfect. And most of the people who who try to defend the King James Version, they will point out all the mistakes and all the errors in all the other translations. Uh, but they seem to overlook places like I've identified in First Timothy where you see religion just gets injected uh, into the text, and they overlook the fact that, you know, the King James Version has its issues also. It's it's not the version or the translation. Again, it's the spiritual principle. It's the Holy Spirit behind the Scripture. I don't think there's any translation that's so bad and so far off the mark that we can't hear the Holy Spirit teaching us in that translation or in that paraphrase. And you know, Brother Chip, that's uh, what I was speaking to that uh, brother that I was speaking with, and uh, just that I told him that, you know, we need to allow the Holy Spirit. He is the teacher, you know. We need to allow him to guide us into all truth, no matter whether it's the King James Version or the, I like the New Living Translation sometimes. I'll read it sometimes to kind of assist me in some other things. And, but I go back to the King James, and, and, you know, I've got different interpretations that I read. But I cannot understand any of it the way it needs to be understood without the Holy Spirit guiding me. Yep, that's the key. I mean, if we have the Holy Spirit as our teacher, then frankly, we can hear from him and we can learn no matter what scripture translation we're reading because it's it's not a matter of the translation. It's a matter of the interpretation. And the Holy Spirit is the interpreter. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, enjoy your teaching, brother. I won't take up any more of your time. And God bless. And I look forward to next week. Thank you, Burl. I appreciate your, your prayers and your comments, and God bless you. We've got um, a couple of comments in the question box. Uh, one says, you've given me the desire to dig in and search for myself. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm glad that I've given you that desire. Actually, it's the Holy Spirit through me that's kindling that hunger for the Word of God. 
and to dig in for yourself. I'm just a tour guide. I can drive around and point out the different things, different items of interest, uh, but at some point you get down out of the tour bus and you go out and you blaze your own trail and, and you discover things that are unique and new and fresh to you. So that's great. I'm glad that we could facilitate that. Here's a question from Scott. Have you or are you suffering for your faith? Have you or are you suffering for your faith? Well, I certainly have. Um, I certainly have suffered. I, I guess in a sense, Scott, uh, there's just kind of an acceptance that um, that those who will live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And that's actually in Second Timothy. I know uh, it's there, and I know that we'll study that at some point. Uh, so have you or are you suffering for your faith? I'm not suffering physically, but, you know, there's some things in this world that's, that's worse than physical suffering. There's a, a spiritual force in this earth, in this universe, that is anti-Christ. It's against Christ. It's against the kingdom of God. It fights and resists every effort to to establish the testimony of Jesus, to increase and enlarge Christ, to see that he has the preeminence in all things. And uh, so in that sense, there is always a suffering. There's always a counting the cost. Now, I can't say that we experience, or I can't say that anyone in the Western world experiences the same suffering that a believer in Pakistan might suffer, or a believer in Morocco might suffer, or a believer in Sudan, or a believer in China. So there's a physical suffering that they go through, but then there's a spiritual. And um, so I have suffered, uh, certainly not physically, and um, but yes, it takes a toll emotionally, it takes a toll mentally, it takes a toll spiritually. And that's why I'm so encouraged to see that Paul says, you know, I don't count my life dear to myself. I'm not in love with myself. I'm not doing this to get something out of it for me. But I want to finish the race with joy. And I want to fulfill the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus and to see the kingdom of God increase. That was Paul's testimony. That's personally very encouraging to me that we're going to press on, we're going to keep on, by the strength and by the grace of God, to do what he's called us to do. And, yeah, that means you, you lose some things. You suffer the loss of some things. Um, you're not able to, to have relationships the way some people are able to have relationships. You're open, you open yourself up to all kinds of things from other people. You open yourself up to all kinds of things in the spirit, and sometimes that overflows and you have difficulties in your finances and you have difficulties in your physical body and you have difficulty in your family. Uh, but, you know, we're teaching people that you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony and loving not your own life unto the death. And so, Scott, you know, I, I think the key is you got to have a purpose that's bigger than yourself. You got to have a goal and a purpose in your life that's bigger than just getting your needs met and just attaining, uh, just attaining to your own spiritual growth and maturity. And that's what spiritual leadership in Scripture is all about. 
it's where you begin, you, you grow up spiritually, but you begin to care more for the needs of others than you care for your own needs. That's what it means to be a servant. That's what servant leadership is all about. And that's why I'm saying there's a dearth of that. There's a lack of that in the body of Christ today. Because most people expect to be served. They don't come serving. So um, there is some suffering involved. If you decide that you're going to serve other people, if you decide that you're going to love other people, if you decide that you're going to speak the truth to other people, then there is some suffering. Uh, but uh, I would have to say it's, it's worth it. Okay, um, let's see. I see that um, Paul has his hand up, so I'm going to try to open up a channel to Paul. Paul, are you there? Hi, Paul. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Very well. How are you? Yeah, and I just want to say I'm really enjoying this online class and that. And that and, but just in reference to what you were just talking about, about suffering, that can take on a lot of different connotations, right? I mean, sure. I mean, like the things that we've gone through, like I went through chemo, radiation, surgeries, and all that. But every bit of it has been used to to be able to touch others. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't go overseas on full disabilities and that. But he takes it and allows us to use it. I mean, those are sufferings. I, 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 I don't know what Paul's uh, thorn was, but I know that probably kept him pretty focused. And, and I know it's the things that I've gone through in my life that's really kept me focused over these last uh, six or seven years. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, um, there, there are all kinds of, of suffering. And all of us at some point or another are, are going to face it. We're going to have, have the testings and the trials. Yes. And circumstances of life. I mean, I think it's interesting that Jesus, when he's praying in John 17, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, "I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one." And so, our being in the world and enduring uh, the things that we endure, just as a matter of living, whether it's a physical thing in our body, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional whether it's financial, and often it's, it's all those things at once. But to maintain the testimony of Jesus, that though he slay me, yet will I trust in him and allow the Lord, just like you said, Paul, to use these circumstances to keep you focused, to, to, keep, you, uh, to keep you tenacious, to, to strengthen you, even in the midst of your weakness, that you experience the grace and the strength of the Lord. And I've got a, a certain saying uh, that some people don't like, but it says that if we want to have apostolic revelation, we have to endure apostolic suffering. The depth of our revelation is measured by the depth of our suffering. And if we have light suffering, we have light revelation. If we have deep suffering, we have deep revelation. And I haven't found a way yet to get around that that truth it, it just that's just the way it it works that those yeah, who, those who know God the best are the ones who have been through the worst of times with God <laughs> I mean I, I can say amen to that I know my kids over the last seven years have seen 
how it has made me stronger in my walking relationship. I mean, it's fine-tuned me. It's not something I want to go through again, but I wouldn't trade it because the words got me in my life and walk with the Lord. And mm-hmm. to me, that's it's been worth it. Yeah. And, and it allows me to reach out and test people that have gone through these things because it's not out of theory, it's out of a reality, out of related relationship and out of intimacy with the Lord. And the very things that, that you're talking about and the things I know we'll probably be looking into. So I'm th- thoroughly looking forward to these classes and glad to have found the uh, School of Christ online. I think that's totally awesome. Wonderful. Well, Paul, I appreciate you being a part. I think it's awesome that you're here and, and that you're uh, you're giving that testimony there. Uh, so thanks for your thanks for your input and for your comments. We're glad to have you. You're welcome. Praise the Lord. Um, let's go to. Thanks, Paul. That was that was a good observation. That um, you know, there's no way to avoid the things that come against us in the world. There's no way to avoid it. We need to learn to know God in the midst of the things that we're going through. That's the only way to to make sense out of it. It doesn't make sense any other way. But like Paul was just saying, experientially, experientially knowing him. And see, that's what Paul is getting at when he says that in the last days there will be these people who are ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. That word knowledge is epignosis. And it means the experiential knowledge. It's like you can know about me but not ever met me. Then you can have met me and still not really have epignosis of me. But my wife, she has epignosis. She knows me. She she knows everything about me by experience because she has walked with me. She has lived with me for all these years, and so she has epignosis of me. Well, Paul says there's a condition in the last days where people are discussing religious things. They're discussing godly things. They're ever learning, ever reading, ever listening, but never coming to the epignosis, the experiential knowledge of the truth. They've never really experienced God. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, they're just really trying to get into the Bible and get some solution to get out of their problem instead of knowing and seeing God experientially in their problem. And that's what the spiritual life is all about. Um, so, great. Thanks, Paul, for your for your reinforcement, your affirmation there. Uh, Carolyn has a question. I keep hearing non-believers say recently, we must be in the end times, things are getting so bad. Is there anything in Scripture that would tell us that we could be close or are in the in the close coming of tribulation? If even the unbelievers are seeing this, there must be seeing something they're feeling or seeing whether carnal or not. What time scripturally do you believe we are in? Well, uh, you know, scripturally it says that we're in the last days. Um, Jesus says that that in the last days um, that all these things will happen. That's how you know it's the last days, but it, not to, to be surprised by it. So what you see going on around you and, and even uh, what non-believers are observing is that things are getting worse and worse. Well, you know, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be because this world is in rebellion against God. Um, the, the purposes of God is, is for Christ to have the preeminence in all things. He must increase, it says in John 3.30. And since he must increase, he will increase. And 
he is increasing. But also it says, I must decrease. So everything that exalts itself against Christ and against his kingdom is in the process of being decreased. Decrease. That decreasing is working in us, where we are being humbled by, circ by circumstances. We are experiencing the suffering. We are taking up the cross daily and denying ourselves and following after him. That's the decreasing of ourselves and the increasing of Christ on a personal level. Well, in a much larger universal level, it's happening as well. Even in the book of Daniel, it talks about a, a stone that was cut from a mountain. And that stone became a, a uh, mountain that filled the earth, but it destroyed all those other kingdoms. And it's talking about the kingdom of God. So all the things that we see happening around us, it's nothing new. It's nothing to be disturbed about, nothing to get excited about. It's just, it, it is part, I call it entropy. It's the steady, inevitable deterioration of everything that is outside of Christ. And it is paving the way for a true new age. And don't be frightened by that word. <laughs> I don't mean it in the sense that you think. I'm talking about scriptural, scripturally speaking, a new age, an age of the kingdom, an age of the king, an age with New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and Christ establishing his preeminence and restoring creation beneath his feet, beneath his lordship, so that he would have the preeminence in all things. And that's the way the Bible ends. That's the way it, it ends up, um, with the beginning of the kingdom age. And so to, you know, to try and answer your question, of course, we don't know the exact day or the moment or the time or the season, but it doesn't stop us from knowing that the general direction of things in this world is towards decline because it paves the way, it sets the way for Christ to come forth and to establish his kingdom. And it's not just a spiritual kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom right now. Eventually it will be a, a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So in the meantime, what we do is we're praying daily. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the last couple of chapters of Revelation is the fulfillment of that prayer where his kingdom is established in the earth and um, so yes things are happening and it's exciting but you know here's here's your opportunity Carolyn to be able to to have a testimony to bear witness to God's eternal purpose in Christ to these people who are not believers and to simply explain to them that everything that's happening is happening to prepare the way for Christ and his kingdom, that the purpose of God will be fulfilled, that in all things Christ would have the preeminence, and that's in accordance with, with Scripture. Uh, so you can refer them to the school of Christ and... Uh, We'll, we'll teach them the same thing because, see, irregardless of whether you are a believer or not a believer, we are all, every one of us, going to be coming underneath the preeminence of Christ, underneath the lordship of Christ. We all need to repent. That is, we all need to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow after him. That's the message of repentance. It's the changing of our heart, the changing of our mind, 
and the changing of our actions and the submitting to the Lordship of Christ. That's what the gospel is all about. Praise the Lord. Let's see, do we have any other hands raised? I'm going to go to Frank. I see that your hand is raised. Frank, are you there? I'm here, Chip. Can you hear me? I sure can. How are you? Excellent. You know, I just wanted to, again, just praise God for you being here and uh, you know, that I found the, uh, the online Bible school. And this is just a word of exhortation right now. I'm just kind of looking really, really forward to this teaching. Uh, I'm a blogger, and I get the questions a lot, particularly about the difficulties that you had outlined earlier, you know, particularly the one about the role of women and the function of elders and deacons and offices and that whole thing about the, um, you know, just the religious churchification of the King James Version. And I yes. get those questions a lot, and I'm just glad that God has uh, allowed me to answer them in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that I think that you'll probably give me a little bit more clarification on how to uh, speak with people on those difficulties. Because it seems as though uh, people jump to the difficulties in scriptures versus the commonalities and how we can work together to uh, spread the gospel. They want to try to throw a monkey wrench in there to kind of slow things down. But I just look forward to uh, the next few weeks of these teachings. Well, I, I appreciate that, Frank. I'm glad you're a part of the, of the study tonight and, and look forward to getting into those things with you. You make a good point that so many people, they want to focus on the difficulties when there is so much in the Word of God that is so evident, it's so clear, it's so plain. And we, we talked about that when we studied the letters of John. Love one another. <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. difficult. That's, that, I mean, that shouldn't be a difficulty. But we gloss over that. And we, you know, but we want to, well, what about women? What about tongues? What about laying on of hands? What about healing? What about demon possession? And we want to really major in all of these things when, you know, John is just saying, uh, love God, love one another, um, walk in the light. Walk in forgiveness. Have mercy. I mean, he, he's he's telling us the things that are important. They're not ambigu or ambiguous at all. There's no ambiguity there. That's very straightforward and easy. But it seems that human nature wants to just gravitate towards the great theological debates, the great doctrinal questions, the difficulties, and and they get some kind of perverse pleasure out of trying to decipher all of these things. Um, I, I don't know that we'll satisfy that kind of mindset because I don't see Scripture as something to be chopped up like hamburger and studied under a microscope. But I believe Scripture is here to teach us of Christ and to point us to the living Christ. And if what we're teaching and what we're studying is is actually bringing us into a more deeper, more richer, more experiential knowledge of Christ, then that's great. But if we come across the difficulty and we can't figure it out, sometimes it's best just to pass that over. Sometimes it's, it's best just to say, well, Lord, uh, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm just going to pass over. And I'm going to, you, you can bring that back and you can teach me that whenever you like. But right now I'm just going to focus on what I understand, that God so loved the world. <laughs> he gave his only begotten Amen. Amen. Uh, so. That that's typically how I deal with things. It's just if I don't get it, I just pass it pass it over. Uh, but we're going to make an attempt. We're going to look at it, and like I said, we might not satisfy everyone's curiosity. But I think with the Holy Spirit teaching us and helping us, I think we can get at the spiritual principle 
behind some of the things that are said. And I think then it, it I think then we can find some some application, and I think it will be beneficial to to everyone. Amen. Amen. God bless you and, and your wife. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate that, and thanks for being a part. Amen. So good. We're uh, we're having good success. You know, we started out kind of sketchy with the equipment tonight, with the microphone and the sound and everything. But I am three for three on clicking on hands and actually getting people to to speak and be heard. So I'm excited about that. Um, maybe that's a harbinger of good things to come. Are there any other questions? Shamim makes a comment that we know and identify with him in the fellowship of his sufferings. This is not done when we are on the mountaintop. That's very true. And you know, Peter's first inclination was, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us build for you. Let us build for you. I've got a whole article about that. Let us build for you. It's good for us. <laughs> and God just overshadowed them and says, it's not about what's good for you. It's about my son. Listen to him. Hear him. So we identify with him. Shemim says, in the fellowship of his sufferings. And you know, Paul certainly understood that. That's what he's referring to there in Philippians. So um, praise the Lord. Um, is there any other questions? Rose says, so you, so you say that we can read the Bible but need the Holy Spirit. I think, I think what you're asking is, you're clarifying what I've said before, that yes, um, you you need the objective guidance of the Word of God to to judge your subjective guidance. And, and here's what I mean by that: it, it's too easy without the Word of God for someone to say, "God told me this, God told me that, God told me this, that, and the other," and without some objective standard to judge and measure someone who is teaching or speaking in the name of God without some kind of, of an objective criterion against which we can measure what's being said, then we just have to take their word for it. We either have to hear it or not hear it, but we really don't have a way to challenge. I mean, how do you know if God spoke to me or God told me something? How do you know God's speaking to you? Well, the scripture gives us that objective standard that we can measure it. And if it contradicts that objective standard or if it violates scripture, then, then we know that we're not being led by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture. And it's interesting to me that Jesus, who is the living word, nevertheless spoke scripture. He taught scripture. He quoted scripture and when he was raised from the dead he could have just talked to them face to face as the living word but he went beyond that it says that he he opened up this he opened the scriptures up to them and told them of everything beginning with Moses and all the prophets concerning himself isn't that interesting that he would go back through the hebrew scriptures and point out to them everything that Moses and the prophets and the psalms had to say about himself you would think that he could kind of dispense with that if he's there with them in person. You would think that, but you would be wrong. And I think he is trying to get across to us the importance that we respect the written word of God. Now, at the same time, 
we can read the Bible and we can study the Bible and we can go to school about the and learn about the Bible and we can learn Greek and learn Hebrew and we can dissect it and we can tear it all to pieces and study it under a microscope and get 35 different translations and we can do all of that and it will all be in our head. It will be a mental exercise without the Holy Spirit giving us breathing words of life giving us the words of wisdom, giving us the discernment to understand by the Spirit. Paul says that the things of the Spirit, the natural man can't understand them, can't receive them because they're spiritually discerned. So you can study the Bible with your head and get no spiritual wisdom or, or life out of it whatsoever. So what's needed is a balance. What's needed is a balance. We need both the written scriptures, and the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak, sometimes directly. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak through the Word. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak through other people. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak through our circumstances. But the point is, we need to have all of our ears open, all of our eyes open, our mind open, our heart open, to be receptive and listen and hear for when the Spirit is speaking. And I'll tell you this, if you don't have time to read the Scriptures and hear God through the Scriptures, it makes me wonder if you've really got spiritual discernment to hear Him speaking in other areas. Because the basis of everything that you judge, all these prophetic words and these visions and dreams, you judge them and you discern them, certainly by the Holy Spirit, but you also discern and judge them by the Word of God. That The Word of God, the Scriptures, are the objective standard by which all of our subjective revelations and teachings are measured. So we value it, we, we emphasize it, we think it's important because Jesus thought it was important. It doesn't mean we elevate the Bible over the Holy Spirit or that we worship the Bible, but we, we hold the Scriptures as the written Word of God. We hold that in very high esteem. So I hope that clarifies it, and I hope that makes sense to you. Um, we're getting ready to wind down because we are over our scheduled time, but I'll say this. If you have any questions that have not been answered, um, you can email them to me. Why don't we do it that way? Just email your questions to info at theschoolofchrist.org. And just in the subject, put webinar question, and that way I'll be sure to see it, and I can respond to it. Because here's a, a question right here about uh, spiritual leadership and how do believers establish leaders in the absence of apostles like Paul to affirm them. <laughs> yeah, see, that's that's the thing. We're 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 trying to understand how to function as the early church when we don't know and we don't have the Holy Spirit that the early church had. They walked in the Spirit, and so the Spirit was able to sit and naturally bring forth these elders in, in their midst. Today, we don't walk in the Spirit. We don't, we don't know how to walk in the Spirit. We don't know how to hear from the Spirit. And so we're forced to go to Scripture and get some kind of a methodology to try to get things organized. When, yeah, 
Exactly. We are a body that's out of joint. That's a good, Jennifer said that, we are a body out of joint. <laughs> yeah, we're dislocated. Uh, it's, it's not, there's nothing wrong with the head. Christ is the head, but you've got the members of the body. And, you know, what really made the early church, and by that you know what I mean, the early church in the book of Acts, what made them significant in terms of their testimony and in terms of their fruitfulness for the kingdom of God is they were filled with the Spirit, number one. They knew how to be taught by the Spirit, number two, and they knew how to be led by the Spirit, number three. But you can't be led by the Spirit if you don't know how to be taught, and if you can't, you can't be taught by the Spirit if you're not filled with the Spirit. And what we're doing today is something that I've, I've tried to warn people against. And even in this setting here, I, I want to caution us. We cannot engage in some kind of an intellectual discourse about the Bible or have some kind of a mental apprehension of what it means to be a Christian. It has to be spiritual. It has to be living. It has to be practical. It has to be based on relationship and not on religion. It has to be spirit and truth, not in my head, not just I can wrap my brain around it. I'm not saying check your brain at the door. God wants to use your mind, but your mind must be renewed, and your mind must be submitted to your spirit. You can't let your mind be in control or you're overanalyze and outthink everything in the spirit. You can't let your mind take preeminence over the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. So we've got to walk by the spirit first and foremost. And if we'll walk by the spirit, the spirit can give us wisdom. The spirit of God will give us discernment and we'll know what to do. Um, but what, what happens is people struggle to try and reproduce some result that happened in the book of Acts, and they're doing it all in their head. They read a book by somebody who says, here's how you need to organize yourself, here's the scriptural methodology, and it's scriptural. But you can take the scripture and you can follow that methodology, but you can do it in a way that the Holy Spirit has, has no room to operate and it's just death. It's just trying to imitate something instead of living out of who you are in Christ. That's not spirit and truth. That's not what the life of the body is all about. So I'm not saying I've got all the answers. We're learning. We're growing. We're, we're developing in our relationship. And as we know God, as we come to know him more intimately, he begins to show us from Scripture and from practical experience what it means to be led by the Spirit. And it's, it's different from just giving you a teaching that says, okay, here's how to start a house church. Number one, you do this. Number two, you do this. And have Scripture to back it all up. That's what people do. But what I'm saying is your first priority is not how to organize a house church. It's not how to organize a fellowship. It's how can I know Jesus? How can I get into the Word of God and know Him better? How can I grow spiritually? And so that's why our our focus right now is giving people the tools that they need to grow spiritually in their walk with God and get free of the bondage of religion that has painted them into a corner and kept them bound for so many years trying to perform. And then they come out of church 
and they try to start a house church or join a house church or start a fellowship someplace, and they just do the same thing that they came out of. That's not spirit and truth. That's just following in the same traditions of men. So there is an unlearning that has to take place. It's not just learning, it's unlearning. And most of, of what I end up doing when I go somewhere, it's not to teach as much as it is to unteach, to unlearn, to tear down so that we can build upon the foundation of Christ, so that we can lay the right foundation. I mean, if the foundation isn't there or if the foundation is, is faulty or if it's, the foundation is sandy, there's really no need to come in and try to tell people how to decorate and how to, what color to paint the walls the whole thing's got to be torn down because it's going to fall down anyway. So start a new foundation, which is Christ, and then you can build from there. And so, um, uh, but we, yeah, we will talk about spiritual leadership. We will talk about uh, what, how I see Scripture explaining the spiritual principle behind the body of Christ, behind the ecclesia and what it means to exercise spiritual leadership. But I'll tell you this, every one of us right now that's on, that's on this call, every one of you has the potential to be spiritual leadership. It's not for some gifted, elite, talented, skilled, chosen few to be the ones who are in charge of everything. First of all, that's not spiritual leadership. Second of all, the spirit of Jesus in you is just as capable of servant leadership as he is in anyone else. It's not about you. It's about him. And it's about loving him and loving other people enough that he can use you to serve and love and give and lay down your life if necessary. That's what spiritual leadership is all about. That's, what, that's the heart of a father. That's what Paul had. That's what Timothy had. See, Timothy had to grow into that. Paul said, stir up the gift that's within you by the laying on of my hands. But it was the Holy Ghost in him. It was the gift of God. No man can confer that upon someone else. It's the gift of God. But you have the gift of Christ. Greater is he that's in you that's in the world. And if you see these things and, uh, and you put these things into practice, then you are exercising spiritual leadership whether you realize it or not. So. Um, I encourage you with that. On that note, um, I think it's time to wrap it up. Are there any speaking events you will be doing in the future? Jasmine wants to know. We would like to get down to Florida. We keep talking about getting down to Florida and doing something, but the answer is yes. We really believe that God is preparing us to do more face-to-face -face interactions with people whether it's in homes, whether it's in uh, hotels or uh, workshops or, or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, we've done some of those in the past. Uh, we learned we learned quite a lot through those experiences, and they were always good. Um, we have backed off on that uh, in years previous, but now we've, we are being stirred up by the Lord uh, you know, when he, when he says the time is right, we think that time is very close. In fact, if it were not for uh, all the things that have been coming against us this year, we would probably have already scheduled and, and done some of those things already. Uh, so we're not concerned about the timing uh, because we believe it's, it's, the timing is in the Lord's hands. 
we believe he's the one that's going to equip and send. And um, until that time, we're holding down the fort here uh, with the website and with the, the things. And we're going to be doing more things online. So uh, this, this testimony will continue to grow. Christ will continue to increase. And particularly when this discipleship course comes out, it's going to be powerful. Not because it's giving you some great new revelation, but the power is in its simplicity. The simplicity of Christ. That's where the power is at. So um, thank you for your prayers for us in that regard. And, of course, we'll keep you posted when events and things like that in the offline world actually come to pass. Lord, we thank you tonight for your Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us. Um, and answers all of our questions and satisfies the desires of our heart. I thank you for this word and for this group of uh, believers who are joined together in one mind and one accord and one spirit, even though we're in many places, yet we are one body in Christ. And so, Lord, I thank you for encouraging us and strengthening us by your word and by your Holy Spirit tonight. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, praise God. Um, that's all for this week. We appreciate your attendance. We appreciate your support of the School of Christ and of the Internet Bible Study because it would not be possible without your support. And so we appreciate that. Uh, next week, we're going to actually jump into the book of Timothy. We'll tackle 1 Timothy chapter 1. Until then, this is Chip Brogdon at theschoolofchrist.org. Thank you so much for being a part of the Internet Bible Study. God bless you. Take care and have a good night.